I'm Esther Armar. Welcome. You're listening to The Spin. It is that time for an hour where smart is sexy. This spin, our weekly all-women-of-color media panel. I'm coming to you live from Star FM Studios in Accra, Ghana. Our contributors are on the line via NPR Washington, D.C. We are on air internationally across the United States, right here in Ghana and in London. This program is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. Today on The Spin, teen black girls speak on The Consent Convo, an emotional justice public conversation campaign on consent. Throughout this discussion series, The Spin has explored, interrogated, reframed and reimagined consent with women and men. They've come from the continent. We've heard from millennials, sex educators, school principals, young ministers, the formerly incarcerated and activists. I've spoken with sexual assault survivors. I've talked the personal and the cultural. I've asked, what did we learn about consent? What do we need to unlearn? How do we create a consent positive environment? And once again, we're going to ask those questions. Consent, sharing, unlearning, reframing, reimagining, all of that coming up. The Consent Convo has featured women from their 20s to their 50s. Today, we hear from and listen to teen black girls living in America. This conversation is in partnership with Black Girls Unscripted, an organization led by Tiffany Gill. It shapes the way girls and young women of color view themselves in the world by harnessing the power of storytelling through film, digital, print, and other creative mediums. Today, we welcome Makaya, a 19-year-old African-American college student, and Victorine Ney, a 17-year-old Cameroonian-American who just graduated from high school. Welcome, welcome, young ladies. Hi. Hi. Hello. It's great to be here. Consent. You are two teen black girls. One just graduated high school and one is in college. One is African-American and one is Cameroonian-American. Let's talk about your personal journeys in consent. Your yes and your no. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. How did you learn about consent? Who taught you? How did what you were taught shape your relationship to your body, to sex, to power, boys and men and girls and women? Did the actual word ever come up for you? And if so, in what context? How did family, friends, school influence that teaching for you? And what kind of sex education was there at school? How did religion shape your learning about consent and sex? College campus and high school, they are two places where issues of consent and sex are rampant. From previous The Consent Convo conversations, many contributors spoke of not really learning about consent until they reached college. High school was more of a minefield in navigating feelings and wants and desire. Also, insecurity, hurt, friendship, and whether to even say yes or no, and the consequences of what you say. So let's start with your personal journeys in understanding and learning about consent. 
I'm going to start with you, Micaiah. How did you learn about consent? I don't think that there was ever a time until I was probably about maybe a junior in high school or a senior in high school that the word consent was ever explicitly said. But I do remember kind of knowing this maybe inherent idea of like what is good and what is bad. And I think as I got older, things got, things felt more complicated. You are kind of, I was at least kind of taught from a young age that anything you were comfortable with was good. And if you weren't comfortable with it, then it was bad. But, you know, when you get older and you have this kind of mixed feelings when these this idea of consent is mixed in with things like emotions and feelings of obligation, you know, where does that exactly kind of fit in? I think I missed that part. But I do remember, and I was a little bit grateful, I got training in what consent meant from a nonprofit in my neighborhood. So that kind of this this idea of like an enthusiastic yes, which a lot of your people who have come on the consent convo before talked about, you know, the no means no campaign as kind of the springboard for these issues. And that is how they were taught. And I think I was a little bit different. I think by the time I came around, no means no was kind of out. And it was that nothing was consent, but an enthusiastic yes. And I think that that is definitely important. A reluctant yes is not consent. A a maybe is not consent. Silence is not consent. No response is not consent. So I think that I I was grateful for that, but I do know and I understand how people can grow up and go all the way to college and have sexual experiences and have absolutely no idea what it is because it's not something that is that we talked about a lot. So you, you spoke about things getting complicated when you got to high school. Can you can you break that down for us? What did you mean? In what way were they complicated? I think that things get more complex as you get older anyways when you have personal relationships with people and feelings and things that you you maybe don't want to explore, don't really know how to. There's not a lot of language around it. I know from personal experience, when when I had feelings, I didn't really know exactly how to navigate, you know, the feeling of maybe obligation to this person versus, you know, do I really, do I really want to do this? Like, so I think that, you know, consent wasn't necessarily something that I learned explicitly as much as I learned, you know, this is good, bad, you know, don't let boys touch you, or if you wanted a boy to touch you, then, you know, it, it, whatever came out of that would, would then be uh, just something you would have to kind of take in stride. Same question to you, Victorine. How did you learn about consent? I don't ever think I was, like, taught consent. It's one of those things I kind of just grew up learning on my own. Like, looking back into my, like, high school sex education classes and things like that, Yeah, we learn protection and all that when it comes to, like, sexual things. But on the basis of consent, I was never really, like, brought out to it or, like, introduced to it. I remember learning one of the top, like, kinds of consent through a TV show called Switched at Birth, you know, like, because some girls don't know that if somebody's drunk and, like, if you're drunk and somebody picks over you, that's still, like, considered rape and whatnot. So, like, I feel as if the, um, 
I'm still learning more about consent. So I think that girls should be taught consent because not a lot of people really know about it. So let's let's go into that a bit more. You say that you so both of you are saying that you never really heard the the word and you found your way. But Makai, you had some training from a nonprofit and that specifically helped you. What were you taught in terms of, if not the word consent, but what it meant? What were you actually taught? If you go back and think about high school or even middle school, what specifically were you taught? For me, I was taught. While the word wasn't explicit, I think I was very much taught to, I think the expectation of me was that um, I grew up in a family full of women, was that, and very outspoken women, was that I would at least be comfortable enough voicing my no if it ever came up. I think that was the, was the assumption. But I also think that I was specifically taught, you know, things like, and I think that now in hindsight they were a little bit, they might have been a little bit harmful because they created a lot of confusion for me, but things like, you know, not to let a boy touch you or guys only want one thing and that is basically your obligation to kind of protect yourself. And I think in that narrative, we just miss out on a lot of things like a woman's autonomy, you know, and I I think in, in the terms of consent, I was taught essentially the basics. If you are comfortable, then okay. If you're, it's good, I guess. If you're not, then it's bad. And But I, the logistics of what that means in that moment, if it's bad, what do you do? If it's good, what do you do? Is it, if you don't feel comfortable, is it your fault or someone else's? And I, that was the part that was missed. Right. And same question for you, Victorine. What specifically do you remember being and taught that you came away with? I mean, you're still only 17, so the teaching kind of continues. I was taught the no means no concept. Like, even if you, as long as you don't say yes, like, no, you shouldn't go forth. I was taught that guys should always, like, you know, follow your lead. And, like, you should never really let them get ahead of you. And some girls don't feel comfortable or sometimes they get pressured into saying yes, like you should never really let that happen to you. That issue of what it means to say yes is part of what we really want to focus on in terms of your personal experience. Because I think what's come up again and again and again and what's come up quite a lot so many folks learned no meant no through the Take Back the Night campaigns. And that has been the framing of the understanding of consent, that it's about the no. And here on the Consent Convo, we really want to explore what happens when you say yes. What informs your yes? And what is that line between desire and obligation? Because the reality is when it comes to consent, you are negotiating feelings and I think sometimes the way that consent is taught is attached solely to the physical act of sex or the physical act of penetration. But negotiating all the feelings of your own desires and the back and forth and that, the emotionality of consent is something that we don't engage or discuss enough necessarily. So I wonder for you, the notion of saying yes, what kinds of things have you had to negotiate or deal with or have you talked with friends about or friends have shared with you about dealing with why you say yes what informs that yes Micaiah let me start with you I think a lot would inform my yes I think now that I'm older and a little bit more comfortable with my no I've realized that 
my yes is actually something that is um, very beautiful in a way. When you don't feel you have this obligation, my comfort is something that allows me to kind of say yes and be proud about saying yes. Just saying in a moment or just the ability to say yes and how empowering it is when you are with someone or around someone or in community with someone who values your yes and your enthusiastic yes as opposed to waiting for a no or dreading your no. And so that's just kind of where I am with it. Mm, Victorine? I know that for a lot of girls, when they say yes, usually it's like a in-the-moment kind of thing. And that's where you, like, tend to go wrong because once you say yes, like, you can never really take it, go go back. Like, you're going to end up regretting saying the yes. So you should feel comfortable when you do say yes, like, your first time. Or I know that I'm still getting comfortable in saying my yes because some girls growing up with insecurity will say yes to get the guy to like them. And that, like, shouldn't be a thing, but it happens a lot of times, actually. And uh, what what kinds of conversations does that create? Usually it doesn't really create a conversation. Like, I know for a lot of teenage guys, when you say yes, they get, you know, really enthusiastic. Like, yeah, oh my gosh, you say yes, go ahead. Like, nobody really stops and, like, thinks through, like, is she ready? Like, like I hope she's just not saying yes. Like, I know that when you say yes, you should really, like, sit down and talk to it with the person, like, make sure you're going through with it, like, it's the right choice, you're doing it for the right reasons. But, yeah, once you say yes, the conversation should, like, continue, like, to make sure, like, your yes is really a, a really good yes. That first yes may not mean a yes to everything. One of the things we talked about on the Consent Convo is the idea of continuous consent. So because you say yes to one thing doesn't mean you said yes to everything. And that's, you know, what happens when you're negotiating those feelings of, yes, you wanted to at this moment or you wanted to do something, but you didn't want to do everything. And what does that mean if you want to have some kind of negotiation? Makai, you spoke about not really learning the language of emotionality. So how have you within, you know, friendships or friends spoken about trying to negotiate that that kind of emotional landscape of where your yes may not be an all the way yes, maybe you're a kind of a halfway yes. And the guy, if it's a guy, is all excited and all over the place and you're thinking, okay, but I don't know that I'm saying yes to everything. How are you then negotiating that that landscape of rejection and uncertainty and just wanting to feel things out a bit more and finding the space or the room to do that, if it's there? I think that communication and normalizing a communication around consent and what it is that you want to do and what it is that you don't want to do is often important because I think Victorian talked about kind of this idea of being in the heat of a moment and nobody's had a conversation, you know, about it yet. I don't even think a prior conversation is all that necessary um, because at the end of the day, consent is something that needs to happen as something is taking place. But I think valuing that communication and being able to identify a yes being able to identify a no or when someone isn't comfortable. But I think that I, and I've noticed even talking and 
with my friends and in my friend group that there is kind of a culture around as long as she said yes and not necessarily valuing that exchange or that interaction enough to know that that yes may not be something that is totally comfortable or guilting someone into saying yes. And consent is something that needs to happen at every step, at every way. You constantly need to be reassuring someone. But not having that language around what consent means, you know, when to stop, you know, when does it mean that you probably need to stop and regroup, you know, you know when does it mean that someone is uncomfortable or do you even care enough to, to recognize that someone is uncomfortable? And I think that's something that needs to be talked about a lot more. Same question to you, Victorine. I never actually really thought about how saying yes doesn't mean she's saying yes to everything because I know like sometimes when we have when I have those type of conversations with my friends you know most of them would be like yeah as long as she says yes it's okay like no harm but is she really saying yes to everything like that's another type of consent that needs to be talked about more thoroughly because she may say yes but like maybe she's not saying yes to everything and as you go more into it the girl will start to get more uncomfortable I know that my friends and I, we usually say that communication is key. So whoever you're with, like, when you're saying yes, you should be like, okay, break it down, yes to this. I don't want to, like, go more further than this. Like, when it comes to consent, you always have to, like, go more into detail into it because otherwise it's just not going to go how you wanted it to go. How does what you have learned up to this point, how has it shaped your relationship to your body in terms of how you think about yourself and in any particular encounter when it comes to consent? How has what you've learned shaped your relationship with your body, Makaya? I think that in learning consent centered around a yes, um, it kind of broke down this kind of cultural notion for me that sex is something that happens to a girl and not necessarily something that she can partake in and enjoy. And so I think in centering consent around the yes, which I was grateful enough to kind of have some of that education, centering consent around the yes meant that I was empowered to say yes and not that, you know, I had to wait to until it was a no to experience to like consent to something that my silence would be consumed. So I think it was very empowering for me. But I do remember before learning, feeling stuck. I do remember feeling a little bit obligated because it felt like this contractual thing, you know, with the first yes and then where does that go after there? I don't know what he's going in his mind. I really don't even know where I am in my mind. But I said yes and here I am. And I think learning... Centering my consent around a yes rather than a no meant that I was an actor, you know, in the situation and not just something being acting on, being acted on. And I think that that in of itself is an extremely, extremely powerful piece. Same question to you, Victorine. Consent, like, it just makes me feel like really powerful. Like, I'm, I'm in control. Like, it makes me really, you know, embrace my body more and be comfortable. Because I know that my words, my either it's a yes or a no, really matters in any situation that I'm in. And, like, it just makes me, like, feel that if anything can happen, like, I can take control. Like, I'm supposed to be in control. I know that some people 
might not care, like, if I say no, but then I know that that's when I draw the line, like, it's a problem now, like, I have to go and inform somebody, tell the authorities. But, yeah, like I said, consent really makes me feel, like, powerful. I'm Micaiah, and you're listening to the Consent Convo on the spin. Consent is swag, consent is smart, and smart is sexy. I'm Victory Nat, and you're listening to the Consent Convo on the spin. Consent is swag, consent is smart, and smart is sexy. Teen black girls on the spin. Swag a salute. Rise up. Silence is quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet. Move, I won't dance, bring it to its feet. Consent is about permission. Yes, you can touch, or no, you can't, so don't. 
Don't touch my body, my soul, my heart, or my hair. Francophone Africa in the house and on the mic, francophone, not anglophone. So don't mix us up. Or as they say in French, ne nous mélange pas. Ne nous mélange pas, ne me mélange pas, ne nous mélange pas, femme, ne me mélange pas. On ne mélange pas, ne nous mélange pas. Eux ils font bouger les corps et moi j'ai fait battre les cœurs. Ne nous mélange pas, ne me mélange pas. On ne mélange pas, femme, ne me mélange pas. On ne mélange pas, ne nous mélange pas. Eux ils font bouger les corps et nous on fait battre les cœurs. Une pop mère ça ne marche que dans les réseaux. J'ai déjà été avec mon téléphone, je n'appartiens à aucun réseau. Je n'ai pas d'amis, gaz, gueule. 
game. Aucun parrain ni producteur, je fais pas la queue pour une scène. L'objectif c'est faire des sauts, rester fidèle à mes principes. Sinon j'aurais quitté le rap pour le couper le bicoutsi. Y'en a qui ouvrent toutes les portes au prix de leurs fesses. Moi je dois ouvrir les miennes là, au prix de mes textes. That was part one of Teen Black Girls Speak on the Consent Convo, an emotional justice public conversation campaign on consent. You're listening to The Spin, a one-hour weekly international all-women of colour podcast. I'm your host, Esther Armour. Our contributors this week are 19-year-old Makaya and 17-year-old Victorine Ney. The Spin is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. I'm live in Star FM Studios in Accra, Ghana. We are on air across the United States in Arizona, Ohio, North Carolina, New Jersey, Mississippi, Texas, South Carolina, New York, Massachusetts, Georgia, and Iowa. We are on air in Ghana on Star FM 103.5 and in London on ABN UK Radio. And we're online. Subscribe to The Spin One on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. My skin is black. Come on out. Saturday, June 17th, there will be an opening ceremony and dinner to celebrate an epic art exhibition at Cape Coast Castle. It's called... In Memoriam, Portraits of the Middle Passage Institute. It is the first and the largest exhibition of its kind on the African continent. Daniel Dunson, a U.S. Fulbright researcher and art historian, will install 1,300 sculptures of heads cast in concrete by Ghanaian artist Kwame Akotobamfo. Each head has its own visual identity and it puts a face on the lives lost during the Middle Passage, the transatlantic journey that began on the shores of Ghana. The sculptures will be on display for three months at Cape Coast Castle and Dungeons from June to September this year. But it is Saturday, June 17th, when there will be the opening ceremony and dinner. Want more details? Check out the website, www.portraitsinsitu.org for more details. Once again, that's www.portraitsinsitu.org in situ.org in memoriam portraits of the middle passage in situ an unforgettable epic exhibition and experience he forced my mother late one night what do they call me one mic one hour teen black girls tell it share it and own it the spin we go global we keep it fly. We honor the smart because smart is sexy. And the spin is living in the light.
Time for part two of the Consent Convo on the Spin. Culture, sex education, social media, film, power. How do those things, issues of culture, i.e. music and social media, film and TV, what impact do they have on how teen black girls negotiate their personal space and the world they occupy? What about these issues for girls in high school? On the Consent Convo, we feature Dr. Nadia Lopez, a principal for a Brooklyn middle school. She spoke about having to school her teachers on not making assumptions about the children they teach to leave their perceptions on teen black girls outside the school so that those they're teaching are treated well. Micaiah is now 19. Now, Nate Parker said when he was 19, he knew nothing about consent. And today, college campus is a hotbed of focus on sexual assault issues. Statistics from RAIN, the Rape and Incest National Network, tell their own horror stories about that. Among undergraduate students, 23.1% of women and 5.4% of men experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. 11.2% of all students experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation among all graduate and undergraduate students. And 4.2% of students have experienced stalking since entering college. Then, of course, there are the Take Back the Night events. We heard Makaya talk about them in part one. When students literally do that, they share their stories of sexual assault and use these spaces to reclaim their freedom to move, be, act, and engage to inform, share, and educate on issues of sexual assault. During President Obama's administration, college campus sexual assault was a major issue that received focus, funding, and strategy. It is estimated that one in five women on college campuses has been sexually assaulted during their time there. One in five. These young women worked so hard just to get into college. Often their parents are doing everything they can to help them pay for it, So when they finally make it there, only to be assaulted, that is not just a nightmare for them and their families. It's an affront to everything they've worked so hard to achieve. It's totally unacceptable. And that's why I will sign a presidential memorandum creating the White House Task Force to protect students from sexual assault. And we're going to work with colleges and universities and educational institutions of all kinds across America to help them come up with better ways to prevent and respond to sexual assault on their campuses. The Consent Convo is partly about creating a consent-positive environment. It's about introducing this idea of continuous consent. So there's an affirmation of every step of engagement of sex between two people. So what does it mean to find power and pleasure in permission and to separate aggression from masculinity? Now, the world is unkind to black girls. It does, it's not compassionate. It doesn't treat them well. It's not thoughtful and it's not loving. So let's talk today's culture of consent for teen black girls. Victorine, so first of all, talk to me about how the cultures of music and media and social media, how have they shaped what you think about consent? I really started learning consent through TV. All those campaigns and things, they'd be on TV and on shows, no means no, all of that. Um, Music hasn't really affected me, but TV was one of the main sources where I started learning consent. From specific shows, like they would have like morals at the end of the script and things like that. So I know that media is really trying to push for that no means no out. And like also social media, because a lot of people on Twitter talk about things like that. Like people will share their stories and people will comment on it. 
And it's a really big impact because most teams, they spend all their time on social media, and most of it is like a good impact. So I think media has really shaped me on how I feel and what I'm learning about consent. Micaiah? I think that media has both, in some ways, helped and harmed. This idea about consent, I think that there have been a number, a number of questionable lyrics that have been said and celebrated almost, you know, didn't necessarily impact our airplay. And so even things like that really teach you about what people's priorities are and what people value and what a society values. And so when artists and, you know, actors and influencers can really objectify or violate women and it does not impact their career or their ability to, you know, support themselves or their families, you do kind of have this feeling of, you know, well, where does, you know, my body and my narrative of, and the narrative of people who are like me fit in. But like Victorine said, the, for the past few years, I've seen a very healthy conversation that has taken place on platforms like Twitter and Instagram about people really clarifying what consent is. And I think that's really, really important, especially for a generation of people who spend a lot of their time on these platforms. And I think that has a really big, a really huge opportunity Victorine, you talked about social. You talked about TV being a big influencer on how you learned about consent. Can you talk me through some of the different types of shows you watched and how they shaped that understanding? One of the shows that I was watching, I'm a big fan of it. It's called Switch That Birth, and they had this one episode where one of the characters had an encounter where she was drunk. Her and her partner were dr- they were both drunk, so she had sex that night with her partner. But then, like, when she went home to talk about it with her sister, she later then found out that it's considered rape because she was drunk and she never really said yes. So that's when I, like, started to, after I watched that episode, I tried to, like, go into research about, like, how that, like, the legal answer to that, like, if you're drunk and you don't really say yes, does that still consider taking advantage or not if both of you guys are drunk? And so I did find out that, you know, when you're drunk and you don't say yes, it's considered taking advantage. So that was when I really started going more and more into consent because I was like, I really don't, I still don't understand all the basis of the consent. So that show really pushed me into educating myself on consent. And so when you say that you really don't understand all the different issues around consent, can you give me some examples of what what you feel you don't understand still? I'm still, since I was never really taught about consent, I'm still, you know, trying to educate myself. Like, I'm still trying to learn about if I'm saying yes, like, even if I'm not saying yes to anything, would I still, if anything were to happen, would I still be able to report it as, you know, the go- of someone taking advantage of me, advantage of me or not? Right, because you're still in the process of experiencing what that means. And I guess that's where something like continuous consent becomes so important because boys learning that as well as girls matters so that they don't see that first yes as the total yes, that each step requires a yes and that creates a completely different relationship to the act at all. So Micaiah, you were talking about there was both a helpful and a harmful influence of social media when it comes to issues of consent. I wondered if you can, can you give me some examples of what you mean? A few years 
years ago, Brooke Ross had a lyric that some there was something along the lines of "Slip Smiley." And her champagne, she didn't even know it, and you know, took um, took her back, and you know, had sex with her, and she didn't even know it. And I still remember that song being a hit. <laughs> I <laughs> don't remember that song having any any issue. I mean, some people brought up, unfortunately, a small minority brought up the concerns of like, did he actually say that? But not nearly as much as that probably should have happened, even the censorship that happened on the radio. They would kind of bleep out Molly, which is a term for a drug, but, like, nobody required them to take that verse out. Nobody rejected the airplay of the song, and it was on Billboard for quite a minute. And so that that just that messaging around, like, does consent actually matter when we empower the people who violate it? And to what extent does consent matter when, you know, we allow it to be on the air? And not talking about it in a critical way. You know, we're not discussing consent as if, as if you know, what happens when we don't get consent or what happens when we do and it's not necessarily storytelling, but it's just this kind of hypothetical power play. And so in that, I think in that narrative, it was very destructive for me because I was still very much learning and it felt wrong. You know, while I didn't, I don't think at that time I had the necessary language around consent yet, it felt inherently wrong. But it didn't seem to bother a lot of the people around me. And so I thought I was just overreacting um, and I think that's also what I talk about when I say, you know, as you get older, it gets a little bit more confusing because even the kind of a culture around maybe drugs and alcohol on campuses, how does consent fit into that narrative? And, like, where does consent come in? Two people have been drinking. Where is that consent? And so on the positive side, you know, Twitter really helped me a lot to kind of reinforce some of the things that I was learning about what consent is, because it was a platform for people to be able to share their stories and speak out and say, you know, this wasn't cool. It happened to me, it wasn't cool. And it kind of breaks down this kind of hypothetical notion about what if somebody was doing this, or what if somebody is doing this, and it's like, still not consent, still not consent, still not consent, mm-hmm. only a yes is consent, only a good yes is consent. And so I think on both ends, it was destructive, but it also had the opportunity to do something better and be something better. And I think that it's, we're working towards that. Do you think we are patient enough with our emotionality and our bodies and our desires? So in other words, is there enough conversation and discussion about just the range of feelings that any human being has when it comes to dealing with desire? That desire is not a one-stop shop. So the desire to kiss is not the same as the desire to have sex. Do you both think that there's enough conversation about distinguishing between those two things? What more would you like to hear or see to kind of help us deal with that kind of landscape, starting with you, um, Victorine? I actually don't think there's enough like conversation on that. I know that a lot of guys don't really communicate with females like on the basis of, okay, you just want to kiss or like, do you want to have sex, continuous like that. Like you said, continuous consent. And I really would like it if the basis of communication would be educated thoroughly because more questions should be asked of 
um, do you want to, like, go, you want to take the next step? Because that's when a lot of girls start to get uncomfortable because they don't get asked questions like that. And when you don't really ask, and, like, some girls don't speak their mind. So maybe let's say you're with somebody and you guys are kissing and he doesn't ask and he keeps going. Like, some girls wouldn't be like, okay, stop. They'd be too afraid. So I do think that more girls and guys should be educated on the basis of communication, what to say and what not to say. Same question to you, Micaiah. I think that there definitely needs to be way more conversation about what desire is, especially, I think, as it relates, well, as it relates to both men and women, but I think especially as it relates to women, because a lot of times we're just taught that, you know, what is female desire? We're not taught that it's something that can be explicit. So, you know, you're not really supposed to talk about it. If you have desire, you're kind of supposed to keep it to yourself. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But then we also have this very predatory sense of what masculinity is. And so the expectation is always that the male would exert whatever his desire is on to a female and then, you know, whatever comes of that. But I think having a conversation around what two people want, while it sounds simple enough, is something that's, like, extremely political, I'm finding out. And we definitely need to talk about what it is to have more conversations about what is desire and, you know, how you can want this and not necessarily that attached to it and how you can want one thing and not all of the others. And I think this kind of cut and dry notion of like what sex is and this cut and dry notion of either she likes me or she doesn't or, you know, she's going to let me or she won't Uh is something that we have to actively challenge because it's harmful. I do agree that it, it does need to be talked about, like make sure that you guys are on the same page, like when talking about desire, because one person may want more than the other and like nobody really talks about okay, I I just want this, I just want that. It's not really talked about enough and it should be brought out more. How can we better learn the language of desire? Because listening to the both of you both spoke in the first part about Yes, there was some discussion for you, Micaiah, around what it means to say no, what it means to not want a particular kind of touch, and also the idea that boys only want one thing. And then, Victorine, you said there really wasn't much. It was you kind of made your own way and and learned as you went along. Are parents the right people to better teach us the language of desire or would you both rather have like an organization or a place that you went to where you could really explore, ask questions and deal with the emotionality of desire? Because I think just because you feel desire doesn't necessarily mean you want to have sex. And I feel like we live in a society that goes from zero to 200 in 10 seconds, whereas you may just be negotiating wanting someone and that the wanting can be satisfied by kissing. It could be satisfied by touch. It's not necessarily satiated by actual penetration. But the language of desire from one emotion to the other, there isn't a space where we really explore that, which is why we're on this mic, three women from all over the world, having that exact conversation. Makaya, starting with you. In that idea of kind of normalizing and who, who should be leading this normalization, you kind of realize how pervasive rape culture is. It's like everywhere and so I think that it should be from everywhere I think that 
you know, would I have, if I had an explicit conversation around consent with my parents, would I have listened? You know, would I have really taken what they said to heart? Would I have maybe internalized it? I am actually not sure. And I think that rings true for a lot of people because, you know, sex conversations with your parents or guardians or loved ones is kind of like, uh, gross. But I also think that it needs to come from a lot of different angles, just as rape culture comes from a lot of different angles. And I think that while it's important to hold a space to be able to have these conversations, you know, it's important that we broaden that space, that we go into other spaces and kind of normalize what consent is and have these conversations. And I think that, you know, centering your consent around the yes makes it a little bit harder, maybe, certain aspects, because we know that when someone says no, they just say no. But we have to talk about desire. We have to talk about wanting to in order to say yes. Parents would have to talk to their children about if you want to, rather than if this person is touching you and da-da-da-da-da, say no. And that's a little bit cut and dry. But as parents or as loved ones, as guardians, you have to confront the fact that your child is going to have some desires, is going to have some want, and you have to be okay with that in order to have that conversation. But again, having to kind of normalize that is where we have to start kind of breaking down rape culture, this idea of, you know, womanhood as being something that is in the hands of other people rather than something that you can take and feel empowered by, even as girls. Closing thought to you, Victorine. I think that I'd like to there are more organizations and more talks about it, about desire, because that's actually not touched on at all. Like maybe the parents or the school should because there is a difference between wanting and craving something, like, and acting upon it. And that's when uh, things start to actually get complicated because topics such as that aren't talked about. People aren't, edu- aren't educated on what and what they shouldn't do. A guy should ask a girl, like, okay, do you just want it? Like, are you craving it? Like, should I act upon it? Because desire is actually a big factor of consent. And girls should really think about if it's, like, in the moment kind of thing, like, am I just feeling it? Do I actually want it? Am I ready for it? Because, you know, once you do it, like, the the, um, feeling of regret is, like, the worst feeling ever. Can we become a society that replaces the seductive power of aggression with a pleasure in permission? With your permission a society where teen black girls can say let's wait a while if that is their choice
Team Black Girls Agency, can they share what they want to share, the way they want to share it, and with whom they want to share it? Baby, let me teach you, give you love instruction, show you what I know. We should take it easy, ain't no need to rush, no, baby, nice and slow. All this love I can give to you, I expect just to bend and return. You don't have to be perfect, love. That's your hour. Thank you to Makaya and Victorine. Thank you, young ladies. You did fabulous. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. This was very fun. Regin, don't cut me off when I'm gone. Thank you to Black Girls Unscripted and its founder, Tiffany Gill. Thank you to the Spin Production team, sound editor David McKeever, a.k.a. McKeever Magic, and distributor Loretta Rucker of the AAPRC. This is the Consent Convo, an emotional justice conversation campaign on consent. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. It's under The Spin One. It's your hour of global talk, The Spin, where smart is sexy. I'm your host, Esther Armour. Freedom, equality, invest your money properly. People owe me your policy, intellectual property, stealing, stolen, commodity, souls, controlling, robbery, soul, lack of commodity, clones, copycats, bother me, mine on black, that's follow me. Honestly, honestly, all these jokers economy, puppets with no autonomy, yup, it's Fuji's economy. I see you looking, but you better take it easy. Tell your goons that they better take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher, take it easy. Take it easy, you better take it easy. Too much ex-mommy, take it easy. Good with the sex, you be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. Take it easy, you better take it easy. You moving bricks, but you better take it easy. Here's a tip. You too flash. I don't tip twice, but your best friend he DT. And that dog sniffing the bag ain't lassie. And I ain't rhyme in a minute, but y'all ain't catch up. And I ain't blood on your shirt, man. That's ketchup. Picture cleft, getting the writer to give him help. I'd rather kill myself, become a ghost, and write for myself. Cause I'm the top celebrity, top celebrity, top celebrity in the sea. Hop low for the thugs, gypsies, and hippies. This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium. NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.